Hello, everybody. Welcome to this new show that I started. It's called Coffee Time with Byron and Friends. And on our very first episode, I have former MLB catcher Rafi Lopez. Welcome to the show, Rafi. How are you tonight? Hey, doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Everything good? Yeah, everything's good here. Staying safe in this COVID-free world. I wish everything would be back to normal, but I don't see that happening soon. Uh, I would love to go back to baseball games at full capacity, but I don't know when that's going to happen. But I hope you're staying safe, you and your family as well. Yeah, everything's good. We're uh, we're doing well, and then uh, family back home is doing well too. Can't complain. There you go. There you go. So I want to get into with you a little bit on uh, your playing your playing days. I want before before you decided to get into the game of baseball. Did you have any idols growing up? Uh, let's see. So when I was younger. Um... Honestly, I was a huge NASCAR fan. So uh, if, mm-hmm. I, if there was one person I wanted to be was Dale Earnhardt, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Uh, and then I guess second would have been, uh, I was, we didn't have the Florida Marlins quite yet. Uh, I grew up in West Palm Beach, Florida. And so I watched a lot of Braves games. Mm-hmm. So I was a huge uh, Rafael Forcal fan, uh, David Justice fan, uh, Javi Lopez fan. Uh, and then of course, you know, I, I grew up in the nineties. So like Ken Griffey Jr., you know, every left-handed hitter wanted to be Ken Griffey Jr. So, uh, mm-hmm. if I had to, I couldn't pick one, I guess, but those, that would be the, the select few I would choose, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that, Hey, that's a awesome list of players right there. I know when I was growing up, that's, that's, I mean, when I wanted to, uh, wanted to play ball myself, that's who I wanted to idle my game by was King Griffey Jr., but I, <laughs> but I was never good enough to play. I was never that far talented enough, so I just gave up playing and just let them play. <laughs> but yeah. but yeah, I mean that's a uh, that's a good list. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. I mean Dale Earnhardt. Wow, uh, I just can't remember. I, I can't ever forget that fateful day at Daytona. Unfortunately, when he lost his life, I knew. As soon as he hit that wall, something was up. Did you feel that way while watching that race? I know you had to watch that race. Yeah, so I actually, um, shoot, I think at that point I was 14 or 15. So the, I think the 20-year anniversary was last Sunday. Yes, it was. Um, and uh, funny enough, I like was going through some stuff and, and found an old like Dale Earnhardt Jr. I'm sorry, Dale Earnhardt uh, T-shirt. My dad had bought me. I went to Daytona 500 when I was like five or six years old, and uh, my dad bought me some like Dale Earnhardt gear. And I uh, never mm-hmm. brand new T-shirt, like literally, uh, tw- you know, almost 25 year old T-shirt that uh, my dad had mailed up to me, saying like, "Hey, look what I found!" Like in the storage unit. And uh, so I was rocking that last Sunday, but. Um, I had started the race watching it and uh, you know, they're long races. And I, I remember my buddy, I was at his house watching the race and he got a little bored of it. And I was like, all right, like, yeah, we can go, go do what you want. Now we've watched like two hours of this race. And, uh, I'll never forget. I was like done hanging out at my buddy's house and you know, here I'm like 13 maybe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I got a call from my uh, mom. My mom calls my, uh, 
my neighbor's house and, and spoke to his mother and said, Hey, can I talk to Raph? And I was like, you know, she came and got me and said, Hey, your mom needs to talk to you. And, uh, she's just like, Hey, um, I just got word that like Dale Earnhardt passed away. Mm-hmm. And I remember like being shocked and like literally running home to turn on the TV. And like, I remember when I saw the crash knowing like, Oh yeah, he told her there's no chance. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a, it was a weird day. Cause like, that's who I wanted to be. Like if in baseball, I saw myself as like, I can remember as like a little kid being like, well, if I can't race cars, like I'm going to be the deal in heart of baseball. You know what I mean? So that was kind of, that was kind of my mindset as like a, a young baseball player was like, be the intimidator. Funny enough, uh, you know, a little Spanish kid growing up in South Florida wanted to be Dale Earnhardt, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah. That, it's just like it's. I just can't believe. Like I remember watching it, and I was, I believe, going to be yeah, ten, ten at the time that year, because I was born in ninety one. So, and I would, I remember watching that race, and I was like, oh god, I couldn't, I can't believe this is actually happening, because he, growing up like you, he was one of my favorite drivers, um, but on, uh, but Dale Jarrett was my favorite growing up more than Dale Earnhardt. But as soon yeah, it was great too. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people though, what I I what I don't understand from a lot of people though, yes, he was fighting with other people to stay in the lead to win. But a lot of people are saying, and I don't I totally disagree with this, that he did he wrecked himself on purpose to let his two teammates, which was his son and Michael Waltrup, be first and second in the race. Now, I find that crazy and hard to believe. I'm sure you as well. I mean, yes, he was the intimidator, but I don't think he would actually risk his own life, would you? I don't know. I mean, I don't think he would. I mean, then again, I mean – with race car driving, especially NASCAR or anything at that high of a speed, I mean, you're really risking your life at every moment, let's say. I mean, I'm sure they take uh, that would be an extra risk, but I mean, I can remember as a kid, like he, and even like watching races now and even highlights, like he took so many risks that people would probably seen as like suicidal borderline that, I mean, maybe he was still fighting for a position or at the same time, like he was the intimidator to where I could see him maybe. Uh, I mean, I can remember like the Days of Thunder movie, you know, uh, Robin's racing. So, I mean, you know, I could see him maybe rubbing some, some fenders there and some side panels to try and help out someone else. But I don't think he ever would have tried to purposely crash, you know, to help somebody. But I could see him maybe giving a little rub or a little bump to, to slow him down for sure. But, um, I mean, sometimes things when you're doing high risk things, bad things happen, you know. And that's what... I'd say though he he would ha- honestly was the stubborn one because I think oh, yeah. though what truly would have helped save his life is if he would have worn the Hans device because at that time the Hans device was just coming out where yep. it was yeah it was going to protect the drivers and he refused to wear it so honestly I think if he would have worn that he would still be alive today because when you think about it. Last year, Ryan Newman had the same accident, pretty much, but worse, where his car totally flipped over and caught on fire 
I don't know if you remember that or watching that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that helped save his life. So do you think if he would have worn that, he'd still be alive with racing to this day? Uh, I don't know if he'd still be racing, but I think he'd definitely still be alive. Um, you know, it's some things just say they, they happen when they happen. You know, it's kind of I'm a huge Formula One fan. So it's kind of like an air to Senna situation where, you know, bad crash and one little thing goes wrong or one little piece of uh, the car hits you in the wrong spot. And next thing you know, that's you know, it's just some things that are out of our control. You know, do you have a favorite Formula One racer? Mine Schumacher. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a little newer to Formula One, um, you know, last five years kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I really like Carlos Sainz, uh, he's from Spain. He's now with Ferrari, but he was with Renault and he was, uh, before that with, uh, he's a Red Bull junior driver. So I really like him. Um, I really, really like Valtteri Botas with Mercedes. I mean, Lewis Hamilton's great, but like, uh, I mean, he's really good too. Don't get me wrong. I kind of like all of them, honestly, because there's only 20 of them, and they're all in my my mind. They're all kind of like badasses, honestly. <laughs> uh, I mean, just to, just saying it, they're uh, it's pretty fun. I have a little like racing simulator uh, with force feedback and pedals and all that, and the paddle shifting, and, and that's kind of my way to to still get the feeling of like the same feeling I got when I played baseball is uh, doing some simulated Formula One driving, and. Uh, it's so cool. I just, uh, I'd give uh, what I'd give to have one lap in a Formula One car. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, right? I, I don't blame me on that. I would love, I would love that. Not going, of course, going 200 on the highway, of course, again, pulled over, but taking it to a racetrack, of course, and racing, I would love that. Uh, but I exactly. want, but uh, let's get started on your uh, baseball career. Take us through draft, draft night for you. Uh, did you, did you expect to be drafted where you were at and how did you use that as an, did you use that as an incentive where you got drafted to make your way has more motivation to go up to the mate to the majors? Yeah. So, um, it was my registered senior season. So I was actually 23 years old when I got drafted. So I was, um, actually eligible for the draft five different times and um, had received interest all five times, but, you know, nothing ever really happened. And so I was definitely pretty nervous and I had a really, really good redshirt senior year and was receiving a lot of interest. I had some teams telling me, you know, hey, we see you in our top 10 rounds, like eighth to 10th round kind of thing. And, um, you know, the, the eighth to 10th round came and went and I was, I was still kind of just sitting there and I was actually with a four-time All-American, uh, Mike McGee at Florida State, a uh, good friend of mine, and uh, we we uh, it was a shocker that he hadn't been drafted either quite yet. And so me and him were getting sick of it. Our uh, girlfriends, who we both ended up marrying, uh, mm. he married his girlfriend from college, I married mine, and uh, they were getting kind of sick of us being at home, getting a little salty and nervous. So we all went to a Miller's Ale House, uh, and me and Mike got there first. <laughs> And we were just chatting about the day and just kind of like, well, why haven't we gotten drafted yet? Like, what the hell is going on? Like, so-and-so already got drafted. So-and-so already got drafted. <laughs> and uh, we're having a beer, and he was a senior, so he was old enough to drink. And uh, all of a sudden, he gets a text message from, from – and I, I immediately knew, like, okay, he, he just got drafted. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, Seattle Mariners took him in the 15th round. He's like, dude, I just got drafted. Like, Seattle Mariners. I was like, oh, my God, it's great. And uh, I remember shortly after, another Lopez came on the board. And then it wasn't me. It was a different guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the next round, I then got a phone call. So we were actually at a Miller's Ale House having uh, a beer together. And our girlfriends, who were both in our wives, showed up uh, right after because they were on their way there. And so we pretty much got drafted at the same time uh, while freaking out and worrying about the draft. And then our girlfriends, who then and Marion, like showed up pretty much simultaneously right after. And uh, so it was a nervous, nerve-wracking day, but like it couldn't have really ended any better. We were having beers with friends and, and having a little, a little fun, and we all relaxed after that and went out for a good time after. Now, but, um, now, yeah, d- that was draft day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy draft day. I would have loved to have. I would have loved to have that, especially. I mean, you can't go wrong in a Miller's Arrow place. Come on, you can't go wrong there. <laughs> yeah. But who do you who do you remember in that draft? Are there any Are there any names still playing currently on major league teams that was drafted before before you still on active rosters now? Yeah, so I mean, just with the Cubs alone, um, I was first uh, the first round pick that year was Javi Baez, and um, Daniel Vogelbach was the next uh, pick, second round. And uh, I remember Zeke DeVos was third round. He didn't end up making it to the big leagues, but uh, we played double A together with the Cubs. And um, he went to Miami, so we were actually uh, rivals. And uh, so we played against each other for two years in college against each other, and then we were teammates for three years in the minor leagues. Uh, Fourth round was Tony Zick. I think he still bounced around in big league somewhere. A closer for Louisville. Mm-hmm. Fifth round, I don't remember. Um, trying to think who else was that draft. Uh, I honestly don't remember much else from that draft. I mean, a, a few names and not anyone who made it to the big leagues. Or if they did, they're not in, in the big leagues now. We're not playing. Um, a good friend of mine, he's still playing. He was a... What round was 20th round pick with the Cubs? John Andrioli, he's gotten a cup of coffee. He just signed with the Padres recently. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of players that draft. 2011 draft was a decent year. Um, uh, I believe Stroman was that year. Marcus Stroman was that year with a different team. Uh, Brad Miller was a big first round pick. Um, Golly, I can't even remember anymore. <laughs> ten years ago, it's ten years ago now. But yeah, um, wow, yeah, that's hard to believe. Players, I remember just from my class going to instructs and being like, "There's some good players here," and um, a good amount of them made it to the big leagues, and a couple of them are all stars. So yeah, it was pretty cool. God, it's hard to believe, isn't it? When you look back, ten years—that's when you were drafted. That's crazy, isn't it? God, how the years have fallen yeah. by. It really is. I mean, I'm 33 now, and um, to think, you know, these 18-year-olds who got drafted are now, you know, 27, 28. Uh, and I mean, to think Javi Baez is now, you know, 28 years old is, in my mind, kind of insane. Because I can remember just, you know, we came up in the minor leagues together with the Cubs, and, you know, I can remember him his, his first day at the field during instructs and just watching his batting practice and arguing with coaches, why don't you teach us to swing like that? <laughs> and, um, you know, now everyone's trying to teach everyone to swing like a hobby by, like get the ball in the air. Yeah. And, uh, 10 years ago was no, he's, 
you know, it's natural. And like, yeah, a lot of it is natural, but now you got everyone leg kicking and bat tipping and, and trying to hit the ball the same way he does. Yeah, exa- um, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy thing. 10 years ago, being in Arizona in 120 degree heat in October with, uh, you know, guys like Javi Baez, just, uh, you just knew looking at him, he's going to make it to the big leagues and be an all-star quite honestly. It's crazy, isn't it? So you were, you were called up for your first time to the majors with the Cubs September 2nd of 2014. Take us through that experience. Mm-hmm. Who called, where were you when you got to call up and who called you? Was it the manager? Yeah, so we were, uh, GM? we had two games left. We had two games left. I was in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, really the team ended up telling me they had no intention of calling me up, but I, I actually went back to double A that year in Tennessee, had a really good first two months of the season. They promoted me to triple uh, A just to see what I could do. Mm-hmm. And I did pretty well. Um, you know, had some learning experience, had some rough times, but did well, held my own. And, um, it was the second to last game of the AAA season, and they called the manager called me in the office and, and said, "Hey, uh, we knew calls for that day, so um, you know I wasn't sure if they were calling me in the office to tell me, hey, you had a great year. We're not calling you up because they were also doing their end of the year meetings to tell you what to improve on, what not to, what not to do, what to do going off season, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't know if I was getting called up or just being told what to work on in the off season. And manager called me in the office with other coaches, and he let me know. Um, my father was visiting that weekend, which was really cool. And, uh, I remember walking out to the parking lot. He actually had to catch a flight and, um, <laughs> I was like, Hey, uh, your dad, like, uh, you know, I know you're leaving, but you know, do you think you could cancel your flight? And he's like, why? And then I told him, I was like, I just got called up to the big leagues. Um, I have to stay for the day game tomorrow. And then I have to drive out to Chicago after the day game. So uh, we went out. We had, it was also a day game the, the day before. So we went out to get a nice bite to eat at a steakhouse. And um, one of my really good friends, John and Moda uh, from Venezuela, we became really good friends. He had a 13-year professional career. And quite honestly, if he didn't get hurt, he would have made it to the big leagues. And now he's uh, currently a coach with uh, the Cubs in, I believe, double A. Mm-hmm. And uh, we took him out to Fleming Steakhouse. <laughs> he'd never been... So it was almost like we were both getting called up because uh, my dad treated him to some steak and some lobster tail. and Good eatery. Some, we have know, one of those down yeah, here in Florida. Know, he never ate He never ate so well in his life. And uh, it's kind of just a celebration of our friendship, a celebration of our careers. Uh, it was almost like we both got called up, quite honestly. And then my dad was there, and I, I remember calling my mother, and she cried on the phone in the parking lot. And... Uh, I remember calling my fiance at the time, now my wife, and uh, telling her, hey, babe, like, uh, I'm not going to be coming home on Tuesday or uh, whatever day it was. Uh, I'm going to be home a month later. And she didn't really quite understand. I was like, babe, I just got called it to the daily. I'm not going to be home for another 30 days. Because at that point, we knew the Cubs were going to make it to the playoffs. And mm-hmm. she started crying. And uh, she was in medical school at the time. So she was pretty busy herself. Um so yeah, that was kind of that was kind of the day, and then, and then the the next day uh, we finished the game, and I drove out to Chicago through the the farm cornfields of uh, Iowa all the way to Chicago. It was, it was pretty amazing that experience. So were they was were they your first hit? Was the Cubs? 
Was that your first hit? Yeah, so um, first hit was the Cubs. Um, I think I went about four or five at bats without a hit. Uh, I made my debut at home. I got my first pitch hit at bat at home in Chicago. And uh, a really cool thing that the Cubs do is anyone who is making their major league debut, they give them a, it's a tradition, they give them a standing ovation. So uh, it was really cool to just kind of be a – a non-prospect getting called up for the first time who wasn't necessarily a guy who was supposed to make it to the big league set per, per se. And, um, you know, getting a standing ovation uh, just for having your name called and being in the big leagues in a, in a Chicago Cubs uniform at Wrigley. Um, it's kind of, it's something I'll never forget. And then uh, we went on a road trip right after. Uh, I think I had two or three at bats and went hitless against the Pirates. And uh, then we came back home and we were playing the Dodgers. And uh, I wasn't playing, and uh, Wellington Castillo got hurt in the first inning. So uh, I had to take his at-bat in the first inning and uh, hit a sack fly to dead center field off of uh, Clayton Kershaw's a 3-2 curveball. And Jorge Soler was on third base, and that's how I got my first RBI, it was a sack fly to center. Uh, and then um, next at-bat, it was a – one or one two count or two two count and Clayton threw me a slider and I hit a nice line drive over second baseman's head for my first big league hit. Uh and then third at bat I walked off of him. So my first first three at bats off Clayton Kershaw went pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, I'll never forget it. It was pretty uh pretty amazing experience. Anytime you get a hit off Clayton Kershaw, I mean, come on. I mean, he's still kicking it to this yeah, day. Yeah. Uh, Cy Young winner. And now and now nobody can say he hasn't won a big one. He won it last year against yep, the Tampa yep. Bay Rays. Go figure. <laughs> uh, it's funny. That's kind of my – I have two claims of fame. Um, first hit off of Clayton Kershaw and uh, – the other one is uh, I'm one of three players in the big leagues to have hit a home run in three different countries. So those are my two claims of fame. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's, that's crazy, isn't it? So next, next thing yeah. uh, you, so you didn't go, you didn't, you were jumping through the minors for two years until you got on to May 3rd, 2016, when you were called up by the Reds. What was it like playing with guys like Joey Votto? Um, I believe it was Brandon Phillips at second base when you when you. Mm-hmm. I believe he was still there. What was it like playing with guys like that? Yeah, it was it was great. It was also kind of weird because you were um, you know I was kind of a I was pretty much a September call. I called up a week before for an injury. And um, really only, I hardly played. I think I went 0 for 7 with one start and caught five or six innings. Caught really well. Um, and then most of my bats were pitch hit at bats. But um, it was it was really cool, cool to see, like, to be around some just, you know, what we call super vets. Um, just, you know, perennial all-stars, been around forever. Uh, it was cool to see them go about their business, uh, especially Joey, seeing how, how regimented he was and, and how – uh, you know, at this time he did this, at that time he did this. He was very, uh, I mean, at times almost awkward at how, at how regimented and how specific he was with his everyday training. But, um, he actually still was like a very good leader and, um, he would, 
he, he had no reason to talk to me and he'd still be nice to me. He'd still talk to me. He'd still give me advice. He'd still be like, Hey, I saw this in your swing and batting practice. Like maybe, you know, think about it this way. And in my mind, I was like, why the hell is he watching my batting practice? Um, so it, it was really cool to see that seeing a young Tucker Barnhart before he won a gold glove. It was cool to see that, but it was, it was very much a losing team, which was, tough to, to, to be uh, for a month. It was tough to be on such a losing team and, and seeing like a young Cubs team up and coming doing well and knowing that the Reds had a lot of the right pieces. They just, they just couldn't find a way to win. Um, but it, and it, it's crazy because it's such a beautiful stadium, a cool city, you know, with the, with the football stadium being right there, the river right behind it. Uh, beautiful stadium, like I said, but um it was different because you had a lot of other vets too. Um, you, you had a Zach Cozart, um, who was honestly, I thought he was one of the coolest guys I've ever been around. He, he just, he was, a, he was a straight shooter. He'd tell you how it is. He, whether it was positive or negative, he'd tell you how it is, whether it was positive, positive or negative with, um, anything on or off the field, he'd tell you how it is. Or if he wanted to tell you how it was with something going on with management, he'd tell you. So, you know, it was, it was, it was cool to be around. Uh, I mean, it was a shame I didn't get to play more, um, but it was a really good learning experience for me because I did spend a lot of time in the bullpen just warming up relievers. So I was able to just spend time with people in the bullpen and, and, and see how they work and see what jokes they like and don't like and how they like to be warmed up, how they don't like. So I was actually able to learn a lot just from literally being a bullpen catcher for that six weeks taking that into my next year with the Blue Jays um, and the Padres the following year. But it was really cool to be around some guys like Joey Votto, Brandon Phillips, just like, you know, for a guy like me, who's really a nobody big leaguer to, to, you know, share the same locker room, share the same cage. Uh, it was just really cool. Yeah. Now you mentioned the Blue Jays as one of your teams, uh, February 27th, uh, you signed with them, and then on August 4th, you were called up to replace Miguel Montero. God, I remember him. <laughs> and you hit your first yeah. home run in a 7-6 to win over over the Rays. Take us through that experience yeah. when you hit your first home run. Yeah, so, I mean, that, honestly, that whole year was, uh, was kind of scary. I didn't sign until uh, mid-February. It was even later, only a minor league invite. Um, you know, went into spring training where they're like, we might have a spot for you kind of thing. So honestly, I kind of thought that was my, I, I may not have even made it to that year. Uh, I th- honestly thought uh, no matter how well I did, I was trying to be positive, but I honestly thought no matter how well I did, I was, I was probably going to get cut at the end of my early camp. That was kind of uh, what I thought would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a great spring training. I was uh, really trying to help the uh, young guys and their experiences and and trying to help them get better. And uh, lo and behold, they called me in the office. Uh, They said, Hey, you may not like this, but we, we have a job for you. You're going to be the backup in double a take a day or two to think about it. And, uh, but, but you have a job in double a. And and I, I immediately said, I don't even think about it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll take it. Um, they're like, you're only going to play once every three, four days. I was like, I don't care. I'll take it. And so I did, I was in New Hampshire for double A that year and had a, you know, phenomenal first month. And, uh, was, even though I was a backup and the, the starter got hurt, Reese, uh, 
golly, what's his last name? Reese, uh, Reese McGuire. Oh yeah. Big prospect. Yep. Yeah. We yep. know. We don't have to mention it, <laughs> yep. but, uh, backed him up. He got hurt and I was able to get a few starts. And then a month in the season, they called me up to AAA and, um, just had a really good year. My best year in the minor leagues, honestly. And, um, Miguel Montero got hurt and, uh, they gave me a call and, uh, was pretty much the starting catcher for the the Blue Jays there for a little bit and um, struggled at first with hitting, but I was catching really, really well and we were winning some games and then started to get my feet wet a little more and started having some good competitive bats. I mean, I'll never forget, it was off Tanaka, my second game against the Yankees, hit a <laughs> ball easily 450 feet, hit it just foul. And uh, I tell you, if that ball went fair, I feel like my whole career would have changed, but um next next week same thing hit a ball just foul into the uh the upper deck and i was like man nah, something's got to go my way so uh got a couple base hits we ended up going to chicago and um had a really good series until the last game and, and pretty much uh, it was my fault kind of blew the game defensively cubs ended up having a walk-up win and we had an off day the next day going to tampa and uh, I was pretty down, you know, I could tell my teammates were, you know, definitely looking at me a little differently for, for screwing up that game, except for a select few, select few had my back and were encouraging me and um, was back in Florida where I grew up, had my father there, had my high school coach there, had a high school assistant coach there, had one of my high school teammates there who uh, ended up passing away a couple of years ago. And... Um, it was also a year I had lost my mother as well. So um, that off the, the previous off season, I lost my mother. So it was a very emotional trip going back to Florida. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a, I can't even remember if it was a change up or fastball away and, and kind of just uh, actually, so the ball went out and literally I'm about to round second base. And right when I hit, hit it with my foot, there was a crack of lightning and thunder and uh I remember thinking this is kind of weird, you know, and I remember hitting home plate and just kind of looking. I didn't even do anything. I kind of just hit home plate and uh, you could see in the video, my whole body kind of relax and, and just kind of, uh, I just looked up to the ceiling of the stadium, just kind of like, uh, if I don't, if I don't do anything else in baseball, I, I hit my one home run. Uh, I hit, I, I did it, you know, in my mind, that was, that was all I kind of needed was just to hit one home run in the big leagues. And I'd be, not that I'd be, uh, complacent or anything, but I'd be happy. I'd be content with my career, especially the last two years, the last year prior to that, at bat, um, with what had like gone on in my life. Um, it was kind of like, okay, this is all I need. Like if nothing else happens in the big leagues, if I never play another game in the big leagues, this is all I needed. Um, everything else is a bonus. So it was kind of that attitude. It was, it was really just, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It was almost a spiritual event in my mind. <laughs> and now we go to the most favorite, because we talked about this before on my, on my old show. Next team yeah. you play for is my San Diego Padres. Yeah, they're looking good this year, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, oh yeah, we'll get we'll get into that soon. But uh, yeah, they're, they're, re they're reaching into the pockets for some players. They right are now. and doing some trades and all that. Yep, uh, it's mm -hmm. looking good. It's looking good. 
But for and I'm excited. I'm sure you are too because you say it yourself you're still a Padre fan because you spent most of your time there. You have most of your bats there. If I can remember one we talked about before, I can vividly remember when you went down in Mexico. You hit you hit a tremendous home run. I forget. I remember it, but I forget what inning it was in. You, it was like one of the only runs scored in that game. Your home run. I, I, if I vividly, I viv, I really remember that game. I saw it, but I just can't. Am I somewhere in that ball field? I know you were there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That was. Uh, I'm definitely excited to see. Uh, you know, I mean, am I a little salty? I'm still not playing, and maybe not with the Padres. Yeah, sure, but. Um, I'm definitely excited to see uh, how the Padres shape up against the Dodgers this year, and and excited to see you know those those competitive games, and, and um, I, I think it's kind of perfect timing for the Padres in a sense. The Dodgers just won the World Series, so why not take on that that the best team right now? Um, but I, I'm definitely excited to see how the Padres do this year. You know what I mean? It, it's definitely a, it's a big year for Hosmer. Um, you know, third year into his contract. You know, you got Manny, obviously. Um, and, and then seeing Tatis get that deal, how he responds to the pressure of that contract. I mean, that, that, that's a big thing is, is when you sign a contract like that, there's some pressure that comes with it. So I'm excited to see how they do. And, um, you know, especially now with kind of the old school uniforms, the Browns back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I like it. I mean, that was my favorite jersey to wear was the brown jersey. And uh, I still rock it. You know what I mean? If we go to a friend's house, I'll wear my brown. <laughs> there you go. My brown uh, Padres jersey on button. And I'm like, I don't care if I look like a, a jerk. Like, this is my favorite jersey. <laughs> there you go. But, um, yeah, it was, shoot, we were in Monterey, Mexico. And I had literally just gotten called up. We were in San Francisco. Uh, a couple days before, so I was really only in San Fran for one or two days. We yeah. had an off day, and that was to fly to San or to fly to Monterey, Mexico. And uh, I was excited. We were getting a, a nice little bonus as well, so it was a it was a big deal for me. And um, beautiful hotel we stayed at. The fans were all excited, um, and I knew I was going to play. They told me, "Hey, you're playing," and then. Uh, and, and it was the first, uh, was it the first game or second game? I can't remember. It was the second game. It was the second game. It was the second game. Second game. Close game. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, the first game kind of got blown out with, uh, I don't know, well, not blown out, but the first game didn't go well. Right. But, yeah, uh, I did. I can remember uh, not thinking I was going to be in the lineup. And then they told me, like, oh, you're up here. You're going to play. And, um, it was uh, Walker Bueller pitching, and I was like, great, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. 97. And uh, first at bat, I think I struck out. Second at bat, I lined out. And I was like, well, this can't go much better hitting. I mean, line out on Walker Bueller is always nice, but close game, obviously. It, and, uh, and, yes, and yes, I do remember now. It was, Now you said that, yeah, the first game, remember, unfortunately, was the no-hitter. Yeah, Brian Mitchell. Yep, the combined no hitter. That was the yes. first game. I forgot about that. that was yep. the first time I did no hit. Yeah, I yep. forgot about that. And then the second one, the second game was when you guys came back and won on your home run. That was the key play. Yep. I remember. I think it was in the sixth or seventh inning. You hit that home run. 
something like that, somewhere around there. Yeah. And that was the ending of that game. That was like the last run scored. Yeah, it was um, seventh inning, I believe, and uh, Christian Villanueva was. Uh, it's amazing how things in life circle back. Um, Christian Villanueva was on base. So uh, just to give you a little background on Christian Villanueva, he was with the Rangers as a prospect. Got traded to the Cubs. Um, he got blocked by by Chris Bryant. Um, he was supposed to be the next third baseman for the Cubs, and then they drafted Chris Bryant. Mm, yeah. So he, Christian he and I, we we played together in high A, double A, and triple A, and the big leagues with the Cubs. I'm sorry, uh, high A, double A, and triple A with the Cubs. He did not get called up with the Cubs, so he ended up getting hurt. And then the next year, he's playing with the Padres, and I happen to be the Padres. So. Uh, a guy I had played with and actually become friends with. He's now playing in Japan, and um, he's also from Mexico. He's from Guadalajara, and uh, we became pretty close. And he just happened to be on first base, I believe, for that at bat. And Josh Fields was pitching, you know, a uh, high spin rate guy, liked to throw up in the zone. And uh, it was either a 3-1 count or 3-2 count. I think it was 3-1. And uh, he had a little cut in his fastball. So uh, I kind of had a feeling that he'd try to come in, but I also knew if he went away that the ball would cut back to on the plate. So I was very much ready for a ball to come back towards me. And he threw a ball kind of just like belt. Uh, he tried to just go, you know, middle up to try and blow by me. And it cut a little further in, and I, and I was able to get a good piece of it. And uh Hit a home run, and I'll never forget Craig Stammen was warming up for the eighth inning in the bullpen. He was our eighth inning guy, and he caught the, he caught the ball right on the mound. He didn't even move. He just put his glove up and caught in the bullpen. And uh, I remember around the bases just thinking, like, wow, this is probably going to be the best moment of my career. Like, this might be the best moment of my career. And uh, getting to home plate and uh, looking up and seeing Christian, and he was really excited and and uh, giving him like a you know the the two 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 hand high five up up high and just running in the dugout. I was so excited. I ran by a guy on deck who was trying to give me a high five and just went in the dugout, super excited. And, you know the Padres for that first month, month of the season were like they're very much a losing team, so they didn't have much to be excited about. And I remember the two months I was there, we we were. We were one game out of first place at one point for the two months I was up catching. And um, I can remember, like, distinctively uh, me bringing, like, an energy to that team, even as just kind of like your 31-year-old nobody who was still a rookie. And they were kind of like, wow, this guy's, like, still excited to play. This guy's still excited. to He's excited to be here. And I could tell it was rubbing off. And... Um, I mean, we, we played we played over 500 ball the next two months. Um, but, yeah, Mexico was just a really, really cool experience, probably the highlight of my career. Yeah, and, and you know what's funny? You mentioned Christian Villanueva. I honestly thought he was going to win rookie of the year that year. The way he was on a roll, he could not was, be yeah. stopped that year. <laughs> he was on a tear. Yeah, it was pretty unbelievable how, um, you know, I had seen him in high A as a 20-year-old and then double uh, A as a 21-year-old and triple A as a 22-year-old and 22-year-old. And, um, you know, it was kind of a shame 
that they they uh, I know this sounds crazy, but it was almost a shame they the Cubs drafted Chris Bryant because um, I honestly believe that this kid uh, would be. I honestly believe, and I still do, that if the Cubs never drafted Chris Bryant and the attention went to Chris Bryant instead of the attention being on Christian Villanueva, because uh, Christian is honestly a better defender than Chris Bryant is, um, and no one realizes that. Uh, he's actually he was a he was a shortstop uh, in, the, in the Texas organization and moved to third. And I I honestly think that uh, Christian would have been uh, a ten year big leaguer all star if, if the Cubs never drafted Chris Bryant because the attention went to Chris and it didn't go to Christian. And that's no knock against Chris Bryant; he's obviously a great player. But just that pressure and the attention and the focus that went to Chris rather than Christian's um development uh i think it clearly hindered him and then he broke his leg in spring training with the cubs mm-hmm. uh and now he's in japan doing great you know i mean making a great living but i, I honestly do believe that christian's a, is supposed to be a 10-year big leaguer who who maybe wasn't just because of situations and circumstances um but i i do think he'll be one of those Goliath kind of people in Japan, uh, quite honestly, oh, where yeah. he uh, he'll he'll become one of those uh, you know idols slash you know gods of Japan League in a sense. But um, he's just a really good player, and I don't think he really got enough credit for how good he is. Oh no, he never uh, did. Mm-mm. But yeah, I mean, what a phenomenal year he had that year. He had a few struggles. They started platooning him and only hitting him against lefties, which is is one thing I hate about today's day and age. Is uh, you know, you have a month of struggles against a right-handed pitcher as a right-handed hitter, and they'll platoon you uh, rather than you know let a guy like Christian Van Van Waver figure it out and and then like every other guy would. Um, but yeah, it was just it was a special experience being teammates with him. Um, uh, just that whole Cineo experience was uh, the whole – it didn't end the way I wanted. Uh, I didn't do as well as I wanted in the end uh, mm-hmm. offensively, but I did accomplish what I needed to. And uh, defensively, I accomplished what I needed to. I was um, in in five or six categories, was top ten in the major league in, in, in defense. And that's something that gets overshadowed just because, um, you know, no one ever really looked at that. Yeah, uh, but I mean, Austin Hedges would be number three, and I'd be number five. Uh, Austin Hedges would be number eight. I'd be number four in certain categories. Um, I mean, shoot, with the Reds, I was number one in the certain category in receiving, mm-hmm. and no one would even pay attention to that. So you know, I, I do feel like, especially the Padres, I accomplished what I needed to. It didn't end the way I wanted to. I got sent down. Um, they said to work on my hitting, which uh, I wasn't too happy about. I knew I was just struggling, and then I needed to work through it. Uh, had some bad luck. Um, yeah, I was hitting 180, but um, yeah, I also had a, a decent amount of RBIs, decent amount of home runs. And um, I mean, for crying out loud, the first month I was up, I was in cleanup behind Eric Hosmer. That's crazy, so, isn't it? Know, I must have been. Yeah, I must have been doing something right. Uh, but you know, sometimes. Things get political. Sometimes things get. Uh, I'll never forget. You know, getting called up again. Uh, I got sent down for a couple weeks. Did really well in AAA again, and um, got called up. 
to be a pitch hitter off the bench and third catcher kind of situation. And uh, after like a week, they sent me back down and uh, they had just traded for Francisco Mejia. Uh, they traded Brad Ham. They traded a few really good pitchers. And at that point, uh, I remember us being a few games above 500 when I got sent down. And the month I was, the month I was gone, they went uh, some like, you know, five and 20 or something crazy. And I was like, wow, that's pretty unbelievable that, uh, you know, I've been gone a month and we went from a over 500 team. Uh, I remember it was the first time in six years or something crazy that the Padres, uh, had been, uh, winning over five, winning over 50% of their games for two months straight. And I got sent down and I was like, guys, I know I'm struggling, but we're winning. And like, well, you need to work on your hitting. You need to work on your hitting. And a month later, get called up, and they went from one game out of first place to like, you know, ten under or something crazy. And I get called back up to Philadelphia, which was a great experience. I uh, my brother came to visit me. He was living in New York City, so he took a train down to Philly, and uh, we get our own bedroom. So I, I specifically asked for two beds in the bedroom, and my brother was in the whole weekend. It was really cool. And we had a couple rain outs, so uh, I was able to get dinner with him and go shopping and hanging out. And um, at the end of that series, they sent me down. And I was like, guys, you know, with all due respect, you know, I know it's a team effort, but when I was catching every day, we were winning. We, we, were, doing, we were doing really well. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget uh, being told, um, you know, you're right, but we're not trying to win right now. And um, I remember from that day on, I just saw baseball kind of differently that, you know, they were, it was almost as if for those two months I was up that we were winning, that it didn't mean anything because it was, if anything, it might've hurt them from getting the first round pick that year Mm -hmm. Um, and going back to AAA and uh, knowing with Francisco Mejia going from being in the starter in the big leagues to being the backup in AAA uh, it was a tough, tough end of the season for me, and uh, being sent home after the playoffs, knowing I wasn't going to get called up, and Francisco was, it was, it was tough, and um, that's kind of when things kind of came into, things became realistic for me, and, and understanding how the game works, and I guess you could say the negative side of the game, mm-hmm. and that's when I got that off season was traded to the Braves, but. Um, you know, I kind of knew, uh, looking back, that after that season that uh, Mexico was probably going to be the highlight of my career. And then, um, you know, it's just funny how things work out. But um, I, I, at the same time, I'm home now, and I'm with my wife, and we, we, we have a beautiful home. We have uh, we're hopefully start a family soon. and. Mm-hmm. You know, I really just couldn't work out any better, quite honestly. So we got 15 minutes here with Rafi Lopez. So I got to ask you now that now that you said that, since you saw the realization of baseball, besides from injury, is that ultimately what also decided for you to quit the game of baseball as well is because you knew about the dark side of baseball? Yeah, the next year um, was on a 40-man, went to the Braves, and um, – uh, thought honestly, I honestly thought I had a chance because I knew Brian McCann wasn't fully healthy that I'd have a chance to make that team, and they ended up designating me at the end of that at the end of spring training. 
And uh, at that point, I was already dealing with a wrist injury and uh, kept, was playing through it. Uh, the team knew about it. The trainers knew about it. Went to AAA and, and quite honestly, was, was in my mind, offensively, uh, felt like I had really figured it out. Uh, was hitting really well. Had a great hitting coach, uh, Bobby Magdalenas. And um, he really, really just kind of, everything he just opened my mind and uh he was also open to to uh, things other hitting coaches necessarily weren't he was more of a he was an old school guy with a new school approach which is my favorite um and i was honestly off to the best start of my career i'd ever had and was playing probably the best i ever had um in circumstances that weren't necessarily the best quite honestly Mm-hmm. and um playing th- i knew i was playing through an injury i thought it was i was told it was just tendonitis and um one day i uh was playing and then we were in uh charlotte north carolina we were playing triple a white Sox, and my wrist was just killing me the whole day mm-hmm. and uh actually my last at bat in the ninth had a bad day struck out three times quite honestly thought i was gonna strike out a fourth and uh, a guy, I don't know what he was thinking, but he threw me a pitch right down the middle and hit on a line drive base hit for a single. Really, uh, just really hit the ball hard that lasted that. And um, kind of knew right then and there something was wrong. It was more than tendonitis and, and went back to the room. Uh, a guy had just gotten sent down and was, was asking. He trusted me a lot as a catcher. and. Actually, he invited me to his room for some whiskey, and he was like, "Hey, what you know? What did you think I was doing wrong?" And I told him I was like, "I was watching the big leagues compared to now. This is what I see different." And I can remember trying to show him what was wrong, and I couldn't do it. My wrist was hurting too much to show him like what he was doing different with his delivery and the way his arm action was, the way he was finished his pitches. And I kind of knew then and there something was wrong, and woke up the next morning in a lot of pain, and, and went to the ball field and thought something was wrong and we figured out I had like a dead bone in my wrist. So I had to have surgery and um, kind of knew that this could be the end based on the type, the type of injury. It's called Kimbach disease. Oof. And uh, pretty much I had a dead bone in my wrist. And, uh, yeah, it sounds horrible. Having, yeah, I was having the best start to my career, uh, quite honestly, with, with, a, with a dead bone in my wrist uh, to where I literally wasn't getting the blood flow to a uh, specific area and um yeah it was kind of uh, that's where i was realizing with the padres what went on with with the injury that i knew i was playing through that i was told was differently that you know sometimes there's the negative to the game and as much as i loved it um you know i'm still dealing with some side effects of that injury but and I do feel like I could play right now. Last year, I felt like I could not play. I wasn't in a uh, physical state or mental state that I felt like I could. But this year, I feel like it's it's good enough that mm-hmm. I could play and mentally feel like I could play. But, um, you know, with where things are at in the world right now and, 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 and also like the negative aspects of baseball, just kind of uh, it, it's nice to be a fan of the game again. Um, it's nice to kind of, um, that initial love I had as a kid 
with baseball, even though I'm not playing as a fan and, and, and watching games as a kid, I'm excited to uh, put aside the negative business aspects of baseball that maybe wanted me to lock it up in the back of my brain and never open it again. As a fan, I'm excited to, uh, to explore baseball again. Um, that year I got hurt, we were in uh, South Florida. I was in South Florida rehabbing. And I was able to go to a Blue Jays game. Uh, they were playing in Tampa. And all my old teammates from Double A in 2017 and some of them gotten called up that year were in the big leagues. And I reached out to them and they got me tickets. They got me, you know, batting practice passes. And it was really cool to just be a fan again, be a fan of baseball, not a player. And um, I remember thinking it was weird, but at the same time was excited to be a fan of baseball again rather than just a player. Uh, I know that kind of sounds backwards, but I'm excited now that it's all over. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to be a fan of the game again and just like enjoy it fully and and just – enjoy you know the bird's eye view of cameras and 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 replays and things like that and not having that pressure of playing so i noticed the negative aspects of baseball the positive aspects of baseball the dream being accomplished but at the same time now being 33 at home with an injury and even though i still think i could play I'm also excited to just kind of be a fan again. Right. Uh, kind of being that, that, you know, kid again who's, who feels like they're just watching Dale Earnhardt racing a car <laughs> um, right. on TV. I kind of feel that way again about baseball. So I'm, I'm hoping that is the case. I'm hoping with this season that, that that's what happens, quite honestly. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> right. And long I hope so as well. Short story long, I guess. <laughs> right. Uh, so we got at least, we got six minutes left here with you. Um, now, now that you mentioned, uh, of course, the Padres, I got to ask you in the six minutes we have left, what do you, where do you see them going this year with the new additions of Snell, Darvish, um, the long-term deal with Tatis. Yeah, you still have Hosmer and Machado. Do you see them still being a major player with the Dodgers, or do you see the Dodgers still taking over the the, the division? Uh, if I was a betting man, which sometimes I am, um, I would I would bet on uh, the Padres winning the World Series and if they let's put it this way, if they don't win a series a World Series in the next three years, it's a bust. Mm-hmm. Um, because at that point, you got Hosmer going into his thirties. Um, I don't even know how old he is now. Manny, same thing. I mean, they're both at least thirty. I believe. Yeah, they are. They're getting yeah, they're getting yeah. in their thirties. So, uh, I mean, in my opinion, if they, I think they're uh, major contenders for the World Series the next three years. Uh, if they don't win the next three years, um, it's a bust, in my opinion. So, I personally see them as uh, winning the World Series in the next three years. If, and if they 
they need to at, at the bare minimum get to the World Series. And and where I see it, I, I quite honestly see it as them taking kind of the, the L.A. Dodgers route to winning where, you know, they're, you know, NLCS losing, NLCS winning, uh, getting the World Series losing, getting the World Series again losing, and then getting the World Series again winning. Um, I kind of see that route uh, as a fan, as a player. Um, I could totally see that. That's what I would see. Um, golly, do I wish they uh, have has has Kirby Yates resigned or what's going on with Kirby? He Yates? he signed with the another team. He signed with the I believe he signed back That's with a, I believe he signed back with the Angels, his former team. Damn, I would have loved to see them keep Kirby Yates. I would have too. I would have too. Uh, maybe the most underrated pitcher in baseball. And uh, that's and that's not. I don't think I would find anyone who would disagree with me on that. Who actually pays attention to baseball, he is single-handedly. He is outright the most underrated pitcher, and I will call him elite closer in baseball. I agree uh, with he you. He is. He is uh, honestly, he's a fan favorite, and people don't even realize realize it. He's a locker room favorite, and he's a professional. Uh, and he's good. He is so good. I would even call him great, quite honestly. Um, and I wish, quite honestly, if the Padres kept Kirby Yates and just paid the man, they'd win the World Series next year. Yeah, uh, I agree. Without Kirby Yates, I don't know. I, I mean, starting pitching is great. Don't get me wrong. But you still need somebody to finish the game. Mm-hmm. In today's day and age, starters don't go nine innings. They just don't. They don't. You, nope. need, you need your guys. Nope. And uh, I think Kirby Yates would, would be your Padres fan favorite, quite honestly, and um, would also be your really good World Series closer. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh yeah. So that that was a little upsetting for me. That, that if anything, I know it sounds crazy, but that's what makes me cautious on the Padres winning the World Series is not re-signing Kirby Yates. Yeah. I know they've signed some other guys. I know they got other dudes, and they got they're going to have a good pitching staff, obviously. But like, I mean, you've seen the World Series. I mean, Clayton Kershaw sometimes only goes four or five innings mm-hmm. in the World Series. You got to depend on other people. But uh, I'm excited to see how the Padres do this year. I am. Really, I am too. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. But I'm excited for the city. I'm excited for the stadium. I'm excited for the colors. Um, quite honestly, if I could choose a time for the Padres to be good again, it'd be no better time than we're in brown again. Quite right. honestly, I, exactly. Um, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So I'm. I'm excited to see how the season goes and. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of good games between the Padres and the, and the Dodgers, and um, I, I think it'll it'll line up to be a pretty damn good season. Definitely, and I agree. But awesome! I definitely appreciate your time, Rafi. It was awesome as always, just like before. Um, I definitely want you again as many times as you would love to come on. I mean, you've all you've been a great guest, just like all my other guests have been. But I'd definitely love to have you on again for sure. Yeah, no, this is great. I love it. Um, it's nice to kind of be open and honest about baseball and um, you know talk about the past, present, and future. And and uh, it's a lot of fun for me. So I appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. 
stay safe out there, you and your family, and you have a good night. You too. You too. Have Thank, a good night. You too. Thank you. All right. Bye. Rafi Lopez, everybody. I'm going to close the show now. This was Coffee Time with Byron and Friends. Have a good night.